The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards we offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today check out top appliance brands including KitchenAid Maytag Whirlpool Amana and Criterion Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hi, everybody. Have you heard of Instacart? If you have not heard of Instacart, I don't know where you have been living because it saved my life. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can get my stuff delivered to my house. And if you go to judgingmegan.com forward slash Instacart, you will get $35 off of your first order if you've never ordered before. So I would say get on there right now and skip your trip to the grocery store. Hello, everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I have to tell you, um, have you ever, like, as an adult, felt like you know somebody or you're like, you're, you feel really awkward when you meet somebody? I don't, I can't, I'm trying to like put it into perspective. Like, you know, when Jennifer Gray in the movie Dirty Dancing, which was my favorite movie when I was a little girl, I would dress in like the white jean shorts and the striped shirt and go to my country club because we had these like really big stairs and I would do the dances up and down the stairs. But do you know when she meets uh, Patrick Swayze and she goes, I carry the watermelon and it's completely awkward? Well, I for some reason, every time I see this one couple in town. So I live in Manhattan Beach, California, or the Manhattan Beach area, Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach. Every time I see them, I always say something so freaking awkward. It's always like, oh, like 
So she happens to be my daughter's orthodontist, or I'm about to send my daughter there to get her orthodontia. And my dad was an orthodontist. So I always think it's like super cool that like a woman is an orthodontist because my dad passed away and I idolized him. And, um, and so I'm like, every time I see them walking, they're a couple, I'm always like, Hey, like she lost her tooth today. Like, can't wait to come in. I always say something so weird and awkward and I don't know why. And I was telling my husband this morning, like they must think I'm such a weirdo. Like they saw me yesterday on this walk and I was like, they're like, hi, how are you? And I'm like, hi, she lost a tooth. See you in February. Like not like hi, like a normal person, just hi, like she lost a tooth. And they were like, what are you talking about? Anyway, I just had to say that. I also have to really quickly tell you that um, my favorite story of all time was I went to the Kill Bill 2 movie premiere with my friend Heather Phillips, who's a who's a publicist. And um, there, Patrick Swayze was there. And this was like my dream moment because like I said... Dirty Dancing, favorite movie of all time. I happened to be drinking a lot of alcohol. This was years ago. I was probably in my 20s at the time. And um, I did, I, I, she's like, Megan, this is Patrick. Patrick, this is Megan. I could not even take it. I was probably a foot taller than him. Um, but I go, oh my gosh, hi. And then I started to do one of the scenes from the movie when he jumps off the stage and I go, nobody puts baby in the corner. And then like the part where he leaps off the stage and he just like, I remember he looked at me and my friend looked at me and they were like, what is wrong with you? Like that, what is wrong with you? And to this day, he was so nice about it, but I will never forget like how many times in my life I'm the most awkward, embarrassing person on the planet. I don't, I can't even count the ways. So I am going to start the show. So hello, everyone. I today am lucky enough to have Maeve McGrath on the show. Maeve has come on very bravely to share her story about a subject that I've actually kind of touched on, I think, throughout the year of having this podcast about um, the homeless issue. And when I say the homeless issue, it touches very close to home for me because her brother is actually homeless right now. And if you live in Los Angeles, especially, this is an issue that it's an epidemic, actually. And I think that people don't realize a lot of times they're just like, oh, like get them off the street. People are angry. And we forget to realize that these are actually human beings. They're people. And um, in my opinion, um, and I've talked about this before, you know, most of my podcast is about mental health. Um, These are the majority of people that are homeless are either drug addicts or have mental health issues. It's not like somebody chooses to go live on the street and be freezing. I mean, let's be real. So Maeve, I'm so grateful that you um, decided to share your story and come on my podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Megan, um, for the opportunity. Um, 
I'm really glad to be able to talk to you. Today. I know it's hard. And and I'm going to share with my audience. Um, I've made jokes before about Nextdoor and how I am obsessed with it. And a lot of times I go on there and like, I like to read it and, you know, have a glass of wine and just read the absurdities. But a lot of times there's really interesting things on there as well. And I actually read Maeve's post probably a few weeks ago and I saw it and I reached out to her immediately and I said, you need to come on my podcast. I need for you to share your story. I need for my audience to listen to what has happened to your to your sibling. It's so important for people to hear his story and your story. So um, I want to start with your own story because I know that you yourself have you kind of shared with me before the show started have had your own kind of like battles with um, mental health and it kind of ties into your brother as well. So um, do you mind sharing with me where you're from and kind of like start with um, kind of your own like struggles um, throughout your life dealing with some mental health issues? Yes, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, If I tell you my childhood, that's probably reason enough to have a mental illness, but um it, it is most definitely genetic, but um, there are environmental components to it. And um, we grew up overseas in Africa and Asia and pretty much all over because my dad was in the Peace Corps. So um, my brother and I moved schools every two years to different countries and even different languages and different religions. So by the time we were teenagers, I think we were primed for uh, if there was already anything wrong, it was about to happen worse kind of thing. But it was a great childhood. Looking back, if you can survive it, um, it was just really extremely kind of chaotic and weird. Um, so, but then for college, I, I, um, I, I kind of floundered and I, uh, I wasn't doing really well. I went to college in Canada. I was already having what I look back now on as mental health issues and a lot of substance abuse and stuff. But anyways... I was always into art and I told one of my friends at the time I was now in Santa Barbara, like kind of city college, don't know what to do or transfer to. And I said, man, it would be so amazing to be an animator. And there's this school called Cal Arts and it's like a Disney school. It was founded by Disney. Like nobody can get in. It's so hard. But um, it was kind of like a like a mixed blessing because uh, I went through depressions around that time and. I think mania is looking back that were so debilitating that they actually helped me. Um, one depression lasted about two years in and out of college and I couldn't even like put my shoes on my own feet. And then there was this weird time of artistic creativity. And um, I just created this insane portfolio and I even started painting on all the walls of my rental in Santa Barbara. And then I crashed into another depression and I didn't realize when I was in that depression that my friend had helped me out and he had taken my whole portfolio and photographs of this crazy mur- mural and he submitted it to CalArts. And so while I was recuperating from a depression in the basement of my grandma's house in Canada, I got an acceptance letter that I had been accepted to CalArts for this really tough animation program. But it all kind of went haywire and... um uh I somehow managed to graduate from CalArts a year late. Can I interrupt you for a second and ask you, because I do, I have numerous guests that come on and talk about medication or not to medicate 
when you say you were put on the medication originally, do you think it was the wrong medication for you? And that's kind of what made you spiral out of control, like looking back? Oh, a hundred percent. Cause nobody knew that I was bipolar until I had a psychotic break. They thought I was depressive. So I was put on Prozac and it was basically like giving me crack. So only after I was hospitalized for psychosis, they realized that I needed a mood stabilizer and not an antidepressant because a bipolar manic person doesn't need an antidepressant. They need a mood stabilizer. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, our bodies, you know, people are so judgmental of our mental health and, you know, some people's brains just, they're different. People need, if you broke a leg, my audience is going to probably rolling their eyes right now. If you had a broken leg or you had something wrong with your knee and you needed to have knee surgery or you needed to wear a brace or you had to take medication for like, you know, you had some kind of issue with your, uh, your, you'd acid reflux and you'd be on medication. Nobody's ever judgmental of that, but they're so judgmental of your, the largest organ in our body, which is our brains. And some people just need to be on medication because there's an imbalance in your brain. Right. Right. And we're judgmental too. We just think like, I can't do that. I'm just weak. There's something, but if we have a weak heart, we're fine asking for medicine for it. A hundred percent. I was, I mean, a few years ago, I was in the same place. I fought it with every ounce of my being, being put on Zoloft. I was like, no way I'm not being put on Zoloft. I'm so embarrassed. Like that's so embarrassing. So I, I understand. Yeah. Now that we're older, like I'm proud of you and of me because I recognize now I have nothing to be ashamed of. My brain is a muscle and an organ just like everything else that makes my body work. And I'm proud of you for not like having this shit, you know, I don't, who, where would we be right now? Well, I think that's part of why I do this. Like, I'm like, literally I have nothing left to lose. Like, I mean, it's a mission. I like, just like you have a mission, it sounds like to get your, your story out there and talk about your brother, talk about yourself. We all, we have a a reason that we were put on this planet and it sucks. Some of these tests that we have to go through, you're like, why, why do we have to go through these things? Um, but you know, I'm so happy to hear that you had your little girl and you've been able to move on. And, um, that's amazing that you've had this successful career on the Simpsons. And, um, but I wanted to hear about, so, Let's talk about your brother because I find his story. And also, I I think it's interesting because I'm also artistic. I was an actress when I was young. I find so many times, like we kind of touched on before we recorded, many, I would say 80 to 90% of the guests that I've had on my podcast in the year, over the year that I've been recording, are artistic. It's just, for some reason, artistic people go hand in hand, usually with some kind of brain, some kind of something with um, your brain. Like, I don't know. Do you find that as well? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I couldn't even imagine this world without mental illness because it is responsible for so much of the beauty Yes, that you see everywhere. The music, the art, the museums, the movies, the cartoons, the animation the geniuses. And, and I think it, it need it, it needs to be recognized and respected because 
Can you imagine our world without the geniuses? I can't imagine a world. Well, it would be like a bunch of blue people that are like, you know, just like mathematicians and left brain. We need the right brained geniuses that are the, you know, the singers, the songwriters, the artists. Yeah, hundred percent. I I guess I've never really thought about it like that, and it's so true. So, um, so tell me about your brother because I want to hear all about him. Um, and by the way, I cry every podcast, so just know that this is a safe space. My listeners listen to this podcast because most of them happen to usually be going through something themselves. Yeah. Um, and, um, and we're, and they're here to support you and cheer you on. And I'm here to support you. And, yeah. um, yeah. and this is not the end of our relationship, by the way, because I'm on a mission to help you and whatever I need to do, I believe in what you're doing. So I'm going to help you with your mission, whatever I have to do. So let's, I want to hear all about Ryan, Ryan McGrath. So let's hear about Ryan. Um, he he was an amazing person, and he is an amazing person. Um, and everybody says that about somebody they love. But if you met him, you would have seen um, the uniqueness. And I I think that that goes hand in hand with what was great and what was wrong with his brain since he was a kid. Um, because of his cultural background. He was a really uh, unusual person. Like we lived in Africa for over six years. We lived in Asia for over seven years. So like if you met him and the way he dresses and the way he talks and the music he listens to, he speaks fluent French. You'd kind of be like, who is this guy? You know, like he's African and he's Asian and he's like cracks Filipino jokes and he can like, you know, tell you a great Polish joke. Like every weird cultural reference um is something from different cultures something that like we kind of grasped like the whole world of all of it so it made him into um just a really interesting person i mean he he has the most incredible collection of salsa and french hip-hop and reggae from you know trinidad and just i actually often thought that he should be a dj here because everything he played on on you know on with music people would come up and be like yo man where's that from like no one's ever heard of that but it's the it's like number one in senegal right now or whatever you know and as far as art goes too and everything he put into his cooking and he designed clothes like you couldn't place what it was it was like you know some kind of weird parisian hip-hop style like if my brother walked around you 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 know, maybe not now, but before you'd, you'd say like, where did you get that? Where did you hear that? Because you, you just couldn't help but be, he's so charismatic and so handsome and he was so giving and he was so talented. And, um, he had massive, massive problems, far worse than me. Um, from a young age, I think around when we were teenagers, things started to get weird. We were put in an all African, all Muslim, all French school in Africa when we were teenagers. And, um, um, so we had to like, be like the different looking person as well as I can't speak a word to you and sort of thrown into it and, and things kind of got worse. He started getting beaten up. He started getting in fights. He was always the new kid in school, but he still made his way. And then we moved to Kenya 
then we moved to the Philippines and around in the Philippines. Um, he was a great kid, but he was sort of starting to, you know, smoke pot with his friends. I think he was 13 or something. And he was thrown out of the sort of international school that we were in. And he was put into, um, and at first he was put into an all Filipino school. That was like the second option my mom had because he was, you know, smoking pot or whatever. They wouldn't give him a chance, but, um, it was a very wealthy Filipino school and very entitled wealthy Filipino boys, all boys. And he got massively severely beaten up and that really affected him. So we changed schools for him. And then he went into a very low income Filipino school, which made it worse because it was all gang gang related. And that was the start, I think, of his slide. So it was so dangerous for him that my parents sent him to military school and he escaped. And we like had to run around Miami looking for him. And it just was this kind of, but then he like, he, I think bipolar people are like a Phoenix where you go, oh, this is it. This is the end. And then overnight he got accepted to um, the Cordon Bleu in Paris in the French speaking program where you have to do all of the measurements and everything in the exam in French. And um, luckily he spoke French already, he graduated top of his class. And then he was accepted to the um, best hotel restaurant management school in Switzerland in the world. And he graduated from there. And he went on to run the uh, Sheraton restaurants in China. And then when, but the funny thing is that I didn't realize this because we weren't together at the time. He was um, really suffering and he was just an amazing employee, but he was drinking heavily Somehow he became bulimic as well. And he became like, you know, he was like 250, 300 pounds when we saw him next. And I didn't even recognize him. And um, then six months later overnight, it's like he shed all of that. And he was this like Adonis. But that's because he'd learned how to become bulimic. I've never even heard of a bulimic man, but now you got one. I'm sure they are a lot. Anyways, my mom and I decided that it would be better for his stability if he could transfer to the United States and get a job in hotels there because he'd be near me. He wouldn't be traveling through China and all these different places all the time. And he immediately got a job at, I can't remember the Julia Roberts Pretty Woman Hotel, but it's the one in Beverly Hills. Oh, Regis, oh. Uh, Regent Beverly Wilshire. That's right. Um, um, and that sort of Ended after a year or two, he was having drinking problems, but he always held on to these incredible, you know, like jobs. And then he got another job and another job. And then um, I think there was like probably a, a manic episode that we didn't recognize. And he got fired from that job and he ended up as a pizza delivery guy. That's so um, common, though, that yeah. alcohol is um, is used as kind of a self-medication a tool to it's very very common I think with yeah with, especially with bipolar from what I understand yeah it's really weird but um somewhere in the pizza delivery like era this was probably eight years ago or something he met this wonderful girl and things seemed to be like working their way up. And he applied um, to the Skechers Shoe Corporation to work there, to run like their restaurant in the corporate in Manhattan Beach. And um, he got that job and quit the pizza restaurant. He was sort of back on track, like I have a career now. And um, 
it seemed like overnight he became best friends with, he was never like somebody that, you know, would hang out with anybody for too long though. He was always, everybody loved him, but he kept people at a distance and the owners of, they kind of took him under their wing and overnight it seemed like he became like the guy that they took with them flying on the corporate jet and he was doing all the commercial shoots and stuff. Like it was just sort of like all the time it was either like, He's destroyed himself and now he works at a pizza or he's like flying corporate jets and um, things just took off and he got this fantastic car and he and his girlfriend moved out and got a place together and a dog and everything was fantastic. And he was the golden boy at Skechers and everything was looking great. And all of a sudden, you know, like I started getting texts from his girlfriend that things were Ryan's acting weird and I want him to move out. So he moved out, got his own place, was still working at Skechers and then everything exploded in 2015. And she called me and said that he had been fired. And um, that's what he told her. They were sort of friends. He was moved out. And then like the next day there was, she said he's, he's, he ran up to my apartment naked and took all his clothes off and released our dog and said he wanted to walk the dog. And, and so it was just nuts. And, um, and a couple of days after that, the neighbor, the neighbors got really concerned and he threw one of their cell phones in the swimming pool. So they called the police and the police, not knowing it was a mental health issue, chased him all around like his complex in Lawndale and the rest was history. He went to jail for trying to fight the officer and he was actually put for one month at the worst floor of the worst prison jail in America. It was all put on the mentally, the criminally insane floor in a suicide jacket with six metal detectors you have to get through before you can even get there. And he was there for a month in solitary confinement, basically with this is the crazy, which is the worst yeah. thing that you could possibly do to somebody in that state, correct? Which here's the catch twenty two, Megan is my brother. They told me my brother was looking at eight years because he was he. It was assault on an officer. There were no photos. Not like what happened. You know, I don't. Okay, may, I okay maybe right. So we got a lawyer. We got a fundraiser. All this stuff. So meanwhile, my brother's sitting in jail. Why would you put my brother? in the criminally insane ward if he's not criminally insane because you actually just arrested him for something you think that he did on purpose right so which one is it if if he's a criminal and he tried to fight the officer and he knew what he was doing why is he on the criminally insane floor because as a result of that my brother can't work at task rabbit he got refused from task rabbit he can't do postmates thanks to you guys so appreciate that so, you know, like there's all kinds of corruption and lying that's going on. But w- like, like backpedaling a little bit, what floor, like, so say that happened, where, where do you think they should have put him? Um, I think they probably should have put him on the criminally insane floor. But if you acknowledge that he's criminally insane, in other words, he did not know what he was doing because he was mentally insane. Then why does he have this felony? on his record, because he did not know what he was doing. So there should be a separation there, right? Because after this man hopefully gets well one day, I would like it that he could actually work at TaskRabbit or maybe clean someone's toilets. And he is absolutely ineligible, if he ever gets well now, to ever hold a job in his life. TaskRabbit won't even hire him. 
they rejected him, which is probably one of the reasons I think he just totally lost it this time. He got a letter in the mail saying, you know, thank you for your application. You know, we appreciate you, you know, what, like, this is a guy that worked at like, Cordon Bleu in Switzerland. And and there's, re- there's rehabilitation programs for, for rapists and real criminals, right? And am I wrong on that? I mean... The problem is that I think that this is a convoluted lie. Like everybody passes the buck, right? So the number one problem, in my opinion, is the mental health system and the laws. Like everybody wants to shout about Reagan and everything they know about what he did and what Reagan did. It's not that simple. I think Reagan put this law into effect in the 80s to do the right thing. It was to prevent. Let's, let's touch on that because if somebody doesn't, because people, there's a lot of talk about that in California that. People either don't understand, they just say, oh, Reagan. So Ronald Reagan, if you're young and you don't know who Ronald Reagan was, I hope you do. Um, He was our president. I actually, growing up in Washington, D.C., sang for Ronald Reagan. I was a singer. And when I was a little girl, I sang for him. Yeah. And he was uh, he was a very nice man. Um, From what I remember, I was very little. Um, But uh, there are in California. A lot of people in California are up in arms because we're considered a liberal state and people are mad because he closed all of our mental institutions, correct? Yeah, and I'm probably miswording this. Somebody, I looked into it. I think it was called the Lancherman Petrie Short Act, something to that effect, which was the law that Ronald Reagan put into effect, which having looked into it further... Sounds to me like he was, you know, he was trying to do the right thing. There were a lot of abuses going on in the mental health system back. You could basically, you know, put your wife in, say she's hysterical. Lobotomies were going on, all kinds of things that were abusing people's rights. Well, what we have is a pendulum effect where the far left and the far right, as we've all seen, they don't have the answer. The answer's in the middle. So now the pendulum has swung in completely the opposite direction. We're not getting any help on that side either. No, I mean, but then there's also like the the other side where there's like, look at what's happening with like conservatorships with like Britney Spears and her dad, you know, like there's things like that that's going to steal all your money. I mean, she's an extreme example. Yeah. Um, But we're skipping ahead. So he actually, so like we were kind of talking about the Ronald Reagan, the law, and then he got put in that, a horrible situation. And then what happened when he actually got out? He was seen by a prison doctor. Um, and with our lawyer, we were able to naturally, like, cause it shouldn't have been eight years, but anyways, we got him out and um, he was seen by a prison doctor who, who said, you know, you are bipolar. This was a bipolar episode. Here's your meds, go to the prison pharmacy, pick them up and leave. Right. So we picked him up and took him in and got the prescription. And he was so um, disturbed, not only mentally, but by what had happened to him in prison, in jail, sorry, that um, he, for a long time, he did not want to discuss, like even speak, like he was having trouble even sort of with his physical anything. So we hoped that he took the meds, but we know for a fact that at least for the first week or two, he didn't, we didn't discuss it with him. He was traumatized. 
And after that, he sat us down and he said, look, I do not agree with this. He said, I think I have PTSD from the schools I went to from getting beaten up so badly by gangs. I would like to deal with this on my own. I have I have some pretty major trauma right now. And so we left it alone and um, I took care of him. He was like an animal. When he got out of out of jail, um, he had no more place to live. And uh, Megan, this is like this is a crazy true story. We came up with a solution where um, for the first month, I let him sleep in my car in the garage in like a like it's a big garage, like a complex garage. He could sleep in the car without the keys. And when he stabilized from that, I allowed him to sleep on the balcony with the door locked um, outside the balcony. And he did that for a month or two. And then when he like earned more privileges, I allowed him to sleep on the inside of the balcony door. Uh, near the TV um, with the other doors locked for our bedrooms. And like little by little, like an animal, I, he, he normalized without the meds and that was 2017 or whatever. And, and he slowly got better and better. And uh, that was 2015, sorry. And then in, in 2017, it happened again. So he was living with you for that whole period of time not able to hold down a job, what would he do like during the day? Would, did he ever have issues with drug use that you know of? He did. He, he told me that, um, that he tried the meds and that they didn't work. I don't know. Like I do know that's nonsense. He maybe tried them for three days and we all know you need them at like eight weeks or whatever. They take like two weeks at least to yeah. settle. And I mean, I'm coming from experience. I told him, I said, I was on meds for five years straight, like as well as their whatever. Right. So anyways, that was that. And he, he, um, we would just get into huge arguments because he told me that marijuana helps him. And I said, well, look, I smoked a lot of weed in college and I'm sure it helps a lot of people. But anyway, it didn't, it, it exacerbated my problems. It may cause this calm, but it's affecting your chemical balance. So in my opinion, it wasn't working. And um, I let him, I said, look, why don't you try CBD? So he tried CBD and then he got onto these heavier and heavier doses of CBD. And um, he was smoking weed. Yeah. You know, he was smoking weed. Did he go back to drinking at that point? He was drinking beer. I wouldn't, because he was living with me. Obviously I know exactly what he was doing, but he wasn't doing anything to the point where, because at that point I had a, when he went into jail, I had I had a four month old daughter. So I would go through the metal detectors and wait and hang out. And that was fun. And by the time he was living in my car and on my balcony, et cetera, I and she was, you know, like one and a half or whatever. So it was a very dangerous situation. And I just want to point this part out. A lot of people that see these homeless people in the parks have no understanding that the families of these people have suffered for years trying to help keep a roof over their head while taking care of infants while working a full-time job while basically like their own lives start to unravel right so let's talk about that because i think we see so much coverage on the news um i mean i know that living are we are you local in the same area as me okay Mm because you must be because i saw your post on next door so um I got recently, pretty recently, probably three, maybe five, six months ago, I got chased. I always walk the wood chips with my dogs 
and there was a man and um he he's always there he's got like gray kind of like bob hair and he talks to himself and he sits on the bench and one day he stood up and he started chasing me and it was really scary i had to like kind of run down the ivy and i had my dog with me he he wasn't i'm sure he wasn't chasing me he saw something or it was all in his head but we see so much cut and but it was really scary and i got i panicked i called my husband i was crying and um but we see so much coverage and especially in this area you know people are up in arms and then you think about it i mean it i understand it they're mentally ill you don't know if somebody's going to pull a knife or what they're going to do and you know you sh- you're shopping in target somebody goes in they steal something and people are up in arms because they just walk out or they're asking you, you don't know what's going to happen. But like you said, we, nobody understands the side that these are all human beings. They were born that like, just like we were innocent into the world, like babies, like they had lives. They went to school. They could have gone to public school or private school. They could have grown up here. They could have been athletes they could have been like professional football players. They also contributed to society. They could have been scientists or doctors or whatever it be. But now they're, they're cold and they're sleeping on a bench and they're, you know, going to the bathroom in the park. And, you know, it, it's we everybody sees all of this like bad, yucky stuff that everybody's has. And rightfully so. I'm not happy about it either. Just like I'm sure you aren't. But these are people. I want to hear what it's like for the families. I want to hear about what it's like for you. And I'm sure you've, I hope you have a support group of other families that have dealt with this because it's got to be, got to be trauma for you and, and the hopelessness and the fact that I don't think that people are doing anything. Can you tell me what's, yeah. what that's like? Um it can cause a huge rift in like the family because especially your extended family, like your, your relatives. Um, I'll, even myself up until probably like a year ago, I didn't know what anisognosia was. So anisognosia is a very real documented. It's been seen on MRIs in how small the vessels are in your brain, all kinds of things going on. Right. Um, it's anatomical. And it's probably exacerbated by years of mental illness. So basically, your brain literally, Megan, literally does not know it's sick. And you can see it starting to happen with a person when they start having flat earth conversations, conspiracy theories, um, the government, maybe the this and that, all kinds of things are like, well, they're trying to control us. Those kinds of conversations um, obviously don't always lead, they might lead to QAnon or whatever, but they don't always lead to like um, mental illness. But that is, they always happen if you are mentally ill in terms of anisognosia. So years later, you'll start to realize that I, I think, I don't know quite how to explain this, but basically your brain has literally over years started to grow in a way that you cannot accept. You cannot accept the possibility that this might be your brain being sick. And so you, your brain has actually tricked you and it's completely done this for years and years where now you believe that a hospital equals a conspiracy, a family member trying to get you help equals this conspiracy. Any issues that your family member might have mean that they're mentally ill. Look at you. 
look at you, you're sick. You need help. That's what my brother says to me and my mother, and I'll see you at your funeral and all this kind of crazy stuff. His brain reinforces this. So anyways, it's become anatomical. And in, in the family structure, if you haven't lived it with your brother on your like living room floor, you might say, he just needs some tough love, sweetheart. You know, it is just time. I've been telling you this for years. You need to give him some tough love. Either he takes meds or you're done with him. Well, that works in the case maybe of a heroin addict. And even then, maybe not. But the heroin addict still knows that they are addicted and that they're sick. They know that. They just don't want to get help. There's a huge difference between that and a schizophrenic person, bipolar person. And there is no amount of tough love that will help a person that is that sick because you'll see the result. The result is my brother, instead of getting meds, is sleeping next to the bathrooms on Washington Boulevard at the end by the beach there. He wouldn't choose that. So his brain is that sick. There is no amount of tough love. Like a normal person would say, yeah, do I want to sleep next to somebody peeing on me in the rain or do I want to take a pill? That is clearly the sign that the brain does not understand. And that's something I so badly want the public to understand that family members aren't weak, not with this anyway. Family members are not weak. It was a choice. And we tried it a couple of times a couple of years ago and he slept on the streets. And my mother caved in because she thought he's going to deteriorate even further. And then he got well. And so, of course, we housed him. All right, we'll try it your way. But with anisognosia, with bipolar, with schizophrenia, with 50% of the people you see in those parks, they cannot help themselves. And, and that's what I said in my article is you would not tell a person with stage four lung cancer to go run that marathon because they will die. And yet the hospitals every day tell people that are in there, would you like to leave? Would you like to make a choice with the brain that is sick and diseased? Because it is basically fully. Maeve, let's talk about that. So I also want to ask, so he, he, it's basically like a three strikes you're out kind of policy with the hospitals. Right. And, and he, that's my idea. That's not how they work, but yeah, that's my idea. He, you had him living with you and, and up to a point where you, what happened? Like you couldn't, you have a big, a little girl, you couldn't take it anymore. Like, obviously that's very, very scary. You have to worry about your own family. And what, what ended up happening that it was like the last straw that he ended up on the streets for good? Um, well, first there was his apartment, which he was removed from, right? And then jail. And then he sleeps in my car, et cetera, until he was like safe enough that I felt he could be around my daughter and he was lovely and things went well and everything was peachy. And um, in 2017 living, he had his own room with me and he was doing great. And uh, it happened again. And so um, at that point, uh, he was hospitalized. I think he slept in his car for a few months. And um, then he went to Florida because my mother had my grandfather who's passed away. They st we still have a little apartment there. So he worked in a flower center for about six months and he seemed to be doing really well. And that's when my mom and I had a conversation of let's try to find him a place here again. So we searched and searched and found a place actually in my complex. Um, this was in 2018 and um, it was expensive. 
but he was able to afford it. We told him, if you get a roommate and if you work, it will be easy to afford. And he was like, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. And the work happened probably for really manic work. He did Postmates for about two, three months. And the roommate never materialized because he has horrific anxiety now, I think, as a result of his life and not being able to relate. So he kept giving us excuses as to why one roommate wasn't a good fit or another. And so basically seven, eight, nine months went by with us paying $2,700 a month for this place that he was basically just doing crazy artwork in. So he finally decided to move and gave us all kinds of weird stories. I'm going to go to Australia. Things were starting to unravel again. So I'm trying to keep this short for you, but that was like the end of 2019. And at the end of 2019, he moved all his stuff out and said, I'm just going to hang out at this hostel in Venice for a couple of weeks and figure out what I want to do. So he got, we put all his stuff in storage. He got kicked out of the, I think he actually maxed out his days. There's only a certain amount of time you can spend. And he spent up until March of 2020 in all these different hostels. And then the pandemic hit. And um, he just thought like, this is a conspiracy. And his, you know, issues went wild. Like I would take into Ralph's and he didn't want to put a mask on. And it, it just started getting crazy. Like. You don't want to deal with a pandemic and also have to take your crazy brother shopping, you know? Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, I guess I've never really thought about how the the pandemic must have affected people in that state. Yeah. It was just, you know, he would put his hands in the nut thing, which you're not supposed to do anyway before a pandemic. But people would stare at him and start freaking out because this was like during the great height of the fear or whatever we'll get into fights with him in the store he'd scream at the security guards and then i'd have to calm him down in the parking lot to like i'm sorry you know because my daughter's with me so i don't want it to get worse so there was a whole lot of just awfulness he started drinking more to calm himself and he went through about 20 different hostels and airbnbs over 2020 and around september He seemed to be making a great turnaround and he was just lovely and it's really sad, but you know, he was, he made a dollhouse for my daughter, like one of those tiny, crazy Japanese miniature things where you have to like with a microscope glue on the tiny chair leg and stuff. And for about two months he was building this thing and it was just perfect. It was almost like, like the work of a genius, you know? And um, so there were things like that where I thought, wow, my brother is back on track, you know, like he could sit and focus. He was sweet. He could babysit her. I trusted him. He spent Christmas with us. We went, uh, I think even Easter egg hunting. I mean, everything that you would say is like a check mark for you're on track. So my mom and I did it again. And we said like, he's got a really good shot now. Let's get him another place. And she can rent it and she can live with him. And that's what we did. And we rented another place in my complex. And she lived with him and everything was wonderful. He made her breakfast in bed. He was the cook. He was the cleaner. They went swimming together. They were like little jogging, walking partners. And it it kind of, it it just really gave me hope. I I went away for days on end and left him with my daughter to babysit. Um, And in about August, she had to go back to Canada because she's Canadian and she has to spend a certain amount of time there in order to like, you know, Canadian paperwork stuff. And when she left, 
he started to tell me he was nervous and anxious, having trouble sleeping, and he was starting to have weird thoughts. And I, I just kind of tried to monitor and help him. Um, but I was really busy and there were days that I couldn't be there and there were days that I couldn't come talk to him. And he kept asking me for help and can I come hang out with him? And, um, and then like mid September hell broke loose again. So my point is, how did we get here? Yeah, this was two months ago. And, um, the, the hoops we had to jump through, um, are just unbelievable. Like, first of all, yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. Like COVID laws and this and that. So anyway, we had to get keys. We had to do this. We had to, I called the police three times. Unless he's actually like, like, like Jack Nicholson cutting your door down with an ax, police won't actually come. If he even threatened to kill you half an hour ago, police won't stay. So and what, that's did he have like a nervous, like a breakdown again? Like yeah, an episode? Total psychosis. Total psychosis. Okay. He believed that um, people were stealing from him. He believed people were trying to screw with him. He believed people were trying to kill him. When I went into the apartment afterwards, it was just an absolute mess. He had like, you know, put like filled up water tanks, like with water. the taps worked. He thought he had no water. He scrawled all over his laptop, help I'm being held hostage in Mart in Sharpie, like not on typing on the back of the laptop. I'm being held hostage, you know, like some kind of like, you know, um, you know, like marooned Islander, the dates of how, who's keeping him hostage with arrows pointing to, I mean, it was totally not so. And we had to get the police in to get him out because he had barricaded all the doors and he thought people were trying to get, he wasn't trying to hurt us. But that's what, you know, what you have to say to the police to get them to care. So did he, so then he got, like, that was the end. He got hospitalized again? He got hospitalized for 72 hours and they said, well, we're going to release him now, ma'am. And I said, hold on, just wait a second here. Um, First of all, he's going to be homeless because the landlord is not going to allow him to live there anymore. Um, Legally, I think they have to have a place for him to go, at least a pair of shoes, a, a, a sandwich and a lunch and some address where he can get more help. And, um, and I also said, you know, what you guys are doing is criminal in my opinion, because he is a danger to himself and he's a danger to others. Um, right. So, uh, so, so this every day, um, I actually stayed in a hotel for a few days with my daughter. Cause I wasn't sure what state he was in. And every day they said, call back tomorrow morning and we'll let you know if he's been released. You know, so you're like, do you live in fear like he would hurt you? He would harm you? Do you, is it to that extent or is it? In my soul, I don't feel like that. But um, having seen the things he wrote and all of that kind of stuff. Well, let's, um, let's talk about, let's shift a little bit. I don't want to cut. I mean, I can't imagine the pain, especially when you love someone so much and like, what an amazing what an amazing sister you are. I mean, it breaks my heart that you have to go through this and like, you know, he's worth it. You know, he's worth it. Man. Let's talk about fighting for Ryan and what, like, you know, it infuriates me and I don't want to get on my like soapbox, which I do often, but I'm, I'm just, I'm fed up. I think a lot of people that live here are fed up. We're just done. Like what is, what are they doing? What is being done to help our homeless and our dr- our ki- our young boys and girls, like teens that we see when you get off the free- freeway passes? Like I see, I saw a young teenager shooting up 
um, you know, like the, the drug addicts and it's, 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 a, it's nothing's getting better. And I don't feel like they're doing anything. And so what are some solutions? I want to hear from somebody that lives this every day and has been living it and has a family member that is right now living on the street. What is something that you think that we can do and people can, can do to help? Um, well, and I, and by the way, am I being too Pollyanna? Because I, there, I mean, I, no, no, I don't think you're being too Pollyanna because other countries have proven that there are better ways of doing this. Obviously. Um, yeah. Cause you don't see the, you don't see fires being started on the side of the freeways, like in other countries like no. I see here. Yeah. It, it's a, it's like a convoluted problem, but you're not being too Pollyanna. I think, first of all, there's a transparency problem. There's a corruption problem. There's an I don't care problem. And the for-profit prison system is a machine that I don't care what anyone says and anybody that has investigated into this would agree with me. As long as a person's life and their incarceration can create money for someone else, you are going to have a revolving door because there is no incentive for this multi-billion dollar industry, which is the for-profit prison system, to help a person like my brother because he represents probably a quarter of, if not 50% of their cash cow, right? So if my brother was not in prison, um, he would they would not be getting any of the, the funding that they would, you know, that they currently are. So what incentive do they have for any kinds of programs to help the mentally ill? to help um, people stop committing men mentally ill offenses, basically, right? They are thrilled to have schizophrenic and bipolar unmedicated people because it continues to turn a lovely profit for them. And that is a fact, a disgusting fact that the general public doesn't really know or doesn't think about very often, but it's true. So as long as this country has a for-profit prison system, in my opinion, we're screwed. And the worst part is that big politicians are involved in a lot of the for-profit prison systems. So like money, money that has been donated here for my campaign, all kind, it's all connected, right? And I'm not getting into conspiracy, whatever, but it's pretty black and white. So we need, we need to absolutely not have a for-profit prison system. That's number one. Okay. That is number one. And, and by the way, I, I try not to get political on the podcast but sometimes you have to be political and you have to, I mean, I use this platform and I, when there's times where you have to be political and get off of your butt and talk about things that are like, I have this platform, people talk, listen, this is, this is an urgent need. This isn't me being like, Oh, like, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm like left or I'm right or I'm whatever. This is a human, this is a humanitarian need. This is a need for politicians on both sides are corrupt by the way, people. And, um, and, um, these, these are human beings that are like being left on the street, pooping on the street, you know, they like, they don't know who they are. They're talking to themselves and it's dangerous. And 
we have to do something to help them and help ourselves. It's not going to get any better. And what is the solution? Continuing to, you know, my husband actually Maeve, um, is a realtor and works a lot in Westchester. Most of his listings are in Westchester and Playa. And um, the Westchester Park had been completely taken over. And then they they cleaned it all up and moved them. Where did they move them? And then is the solution to get housing? Well, what if they don't want to move into housing? So it's like, well, what, you know, what do we do? Like, I don't. 100%. The reason people don't want to move into housing is for two reasons. A, they're either, three actually. A, they're either addicts or B, they're mentally ill, right? So that's actually C as well, because if they're mentally ill, my brother is not an addict, but he will be soon, I guarantee you. Because uh, drugs or heroin or marijuana or alcohol all make you feel better because you don't know you're sick. You think the world's sick. So I'm just going to smoke a joint or I'm going to drink or whatever. So if I get offered housing, I'm going to be offered housing with the caveat that I cannot drink, that I cannot like lights out at 10. There's all these rules. And that may sound fair to you. But the problem is that if you are a truly suffering addict or you are truly mentally ill, your life is almost unmanageable without a drink. It is almost to the point where you will want to kill yourself every single day if you cannot numb that pain. And so living under the rain next to the poop is preferable to feeling the way you feel. I guess, like, honestly, Maeve, I've never thought about it that way. And I guess most people don't think about it that way. And, and I, and it's so, it's, it's so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking to think about, you know, yesterday, last night, actually, I knew you were coming on and I talk about a lot that things happen for a reason. And some lady had posted um, on some, some, one of the groups I follow about how today there was some kind of walkout in San Francisco because, um, they were all of the drugs being laced with fentanyl. Um, and these, these kids, I mean, it's happening in our area, young kids dying of fentanyl overdoses, right? Because all of the drugs are laced with fentanyl. Um, and and like how how it's all connected and it is financially driven it's just so scary to me it doesn't seem like there's a solution what 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 can we do what can we do in in well and i hate saying in my opinion but um you know a lot of a lot of people on that post and in my life over the past 10 years have, you know, they genuinely try to help and they say to you stuff like, you know, you should read this book or you should call the Department of Mental Health. Here's their number. Or you should call so-and-so at the ambassadors, such and such, like Angels of Venice Beach, such and such. And there's like a thousand solutions or here's a person you can talk to that might get your brother to take medicine. All of these wonderful solutions, right? Um, but what they don't realize is that any family member who has lived with this for probably longer than a year, and at my point, 10 years now or seven years, if not my whole life, there's nothing you can tell me that I am not an expert at. I've read every book. I've read every article. I've called every phone number, and I have spoken to every official. So 
my solution is this. If I haven't found a solution by now, then the solution is mental health law reform. It is not on the small levels of tiny details. It is an overwhelming something that looks like this. A three strikes your out rule. Now, it may not work the way I put it in my article, but that is the best thing that I can come up with after 10 years of experience, because I guarantee you I could go toe to toe with any expert on any panel right now on mental health, and I would know what I'm talking about. Do you want to protect the rights of mentally ill people? Of course you do. And this is the problem with extremes on both sides. I don't want you to have to be forced to lobotomy, right? But I also don't want the problem that we're seeing right now, where you just like, oh, do you want to pick up cigarette butts and live off of the sidewalks next to my daughter's library and pee where she has to walk and we can't go get books anymore because I'm terrified? That's the extremes, right? But the truth is, there is always something in the middle. And there is, there is something in the middle. So you have a law, and I don't know how it looks, but it works something to the effect of three strikes, you're out. The first two strikes, if you are not gravely disabled, you have more than enough time after your first 72-hour hospitalization to get your shit in order. Pardon my speaking, right? If you are mildly depressed or this or that, you go into a hospital against your will for the mandatory 72 hours and you do not have to be medicated. That is fair. The second time also, sweetheart, you don't have to be medicated. But after a couple of times, I don't know whether it's three or four or five, three, four, five strikes, you're out. And I think that's fair because what it does is it protects the rights of the people who should still have their own choices and their rights. And it also protects the people who are literally dying from the inability to make that choice anymore. The people like my brother, who, by the way, would not choose to pick up COVID cigarette butts from some COVID person who smoked it on the boardwalk because they used to have a career and a girlfriend and a dog and an apartment and a life. I guarantee you, my brother cannot make that choice for himself anymore. So a law like this, I think, is a lifeline for people like my brother. At this, this is called end stage mental illness. This is the result of neglect, not from me not having read the right book or spoken to him in the right way. This is end stage mental illness that could be at least helped by 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 political reform by mental health reform is the only way now and and you find something in between what reagan did you know before the reagan era and what we have now there is something in the middle and that's called compassion because what we're seeing right now this is not compassion my brother wouldn't choose to live this way so we are not being compassionate to human beings i 100 percent agree with you in there that like reading what you wrote is the uh, I've read so much stuff on this. Like I'm saying, I am so passionate on this subject. Um, and just knowing that you've lived with it, I think that people don't seem to understand. It's like the families that have the young drug addicts and they keep taking them back inside and giving them chances and chances. It's a little bit different, but it's the same in a lot of ways. They, they Their family members are living on the streets and they've keep giving them chances. And, you know, um, I love that idea. I would love to get involved if there was a way for me to get involved with you. I'm, you know, there's a lot of people that don't like what a loud freaking pain in the ass I am, but I am a pain in the ass and I'm really loud and I'm willing to help you. (laughs) 
Um, you know, um, um, the other day I was reading, actually, I think on next door that there was a homeless man that there was a young girl that was just riding her bike and somebody went up and just took a skateboard and hit her over the head. She fell off her bike. And it's like, well, that person needs to be medicated. You know, they're sick. You know, like the, this can't continue to happen. Like you said, we need compassion. These, they can't be on the streets. These are human beings. They also can't be harming people. They can't be harming themselves. And compassion is medication. Yeah, and compassion so, is well, medication. And Ryan deserves a chance. He deserves a shot. He deserves, he's young. He deserves, you know, he deserves a life. And it breaks my heart. Sorry that you have to go through this. Um, you know, one way I look at this to try to get this like across and like you understand more than anybody, Megan, is imagine if when your life made no sense and you felt suicidal or as low as you were, imagine if somebody told you there's medicine available and it will help you, but you can't have it, Megan. And I would like you to live the next 20 years and throw the dice and see what happens to you and your choices, given the way that you feel you can barely get out of bed right now and go and enjoy that. Go for it, right? How would you feel with that situation. Now you and I were given medicine and we were able to go on and live our lives and get married and live in Manhattan beach and Playa del Rey and, and have a normal life and have a podcast. Right. So my brother is asking for medication, but he can't speak. And, and that's. So breaks my heart. Well, um, okay, we're, uh, I'm obviously cr- ugly crying. And Maeve, listen to me. Um, and my listeners that are listening today, if you want to get involved, which I hope you do, because this, especially if you're living in Los Angeles or wherever li- you're living, this is a problem across the in- entire United States. This needs to stop. And if you do want to get involved, I hope you do. Maeve, what is your, um, can people reach out to you over social media? Are you okay with Uh, that? Absolutely. Yeah. What is your social media? If you want to share that, if there's somebody listening that, you know, maybe there's a way for us all to get involved and do something. I mean, the more people that yell and scream, I don't know. I mean, I know that I went to a conference a few years ago. This was before COVID. And I and it was a, a conference with um, Mayor Londonberry of San Francisco, and it was all about um, dealing with the homeless crisis in San Francisco. But it was pre-COVID, and they were talking about what they were doing, and then it's like nothing's happened, and then COVID made it even worse, and it's just a lot of like talking. No, no changes have happened, and it's gotten even worse. So I think everybody's just we're tired of it. We're tired of it. It's time to do something. I, I I wanted to add this one thing, you know, that um, I, uh, you know, I am so sorry for people like my brother. You know, I, I feel horrendously powerless that more people like my brother are going to be dumped on the streets who used to be beautiful, handsome, wonderful, talented, 
productive members of society and are now a risk to other people. And this is an avalanche that is growing. So if we don't fix this on the congressional level, I think we are going to see, we're going to look back on today like the good old days. So if we don't look at this as our problem, all of us, even if we don't have family members living like this, we're in for a rude awakening because it's our problem. It's like sort of saying, well, as long as I recycle, I'm just not going to pay attention to the trash that is being like an avalanche of trash on my front yard. It's coming whether you like it or not. And it is not these people's fault. So it's time to wake up and realize like it's like putting your head in the sand. I mean, when it got really bad in Venice a few years ago, right? Um, the homeless situation or San Francisco, people are like, well, it hasn't affected this area yet. Well, it's it's eventually or when it was bad in Orange County, let's continue to move people or like clean up like uh, the some politicians coming into you know that they moved everybody out of skid row because somebody it, you can't continue to keep moving people you do something about it you know and yeah it seems like the politicians they can't do anything so it's time for people to do something and you know i think we need to go away from the extremes too right like i don't want to fight about left or right, because it's both nonsense, the truth, and the answer is in the middle, Megan. You know? I agree. Well, that's why I, I find myself, I am in the middle, and that's where I stand politically, because I'm just really tired of the BS. I really honestly am. I can't take it anymore. Um, yeah, on both sides. Yeah. Um, But in closing, Maeve, I knew there was a reason why I looked at Nextdoor that evening, and I saw your beautiful face and I knew that I had to reach out to you. And I know now that I have a friend in you and I'm serious. Like we're, you have a big giant loud mouth friend in me <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm on a mission to do something to help and whatever, like after we get off this podcast, I'm serious. Like let's make a plan and figure this out. And my listeners as well can always reach out to me on my Instagram, judging Megan, um, or my website, judgingmegan.com. And I love all of you. I'm so grateful to be able to do this podcast. And, um, um, like I say now in the closing of every show, um, my daddy used to say, be happy by making others happy. And, um, I'm, I'm so emotional today because of this whole story, but you know what, what doesn't kill you makes you stranger. It's true. So anyways, be happy by making others happy. Thank you, May. Hello. Did you hear me in the beginning of the show? I hope you heard me because I'm going to tell you about something called Instacart. If you have never heard of Instacart, where have you been living? I mean, where are you living? Are you living under a rock somewhere? It is the most amazing thing I have ever experienced in my life. I'm not lying because I hate, well, I love to shop. Everyone knows I love to shop, but I hate to shop for groceries. Like I said, I don't want to see Brenda or Karen in the grocery store. This way I can avoid seeing them. I can avoid maybe running in my cart into their carts, maybe accidentally on purpose. And instead I get everything delivered 
to my house, look out my ring video doorbell. And if you go to judgingmegan.com forward slash Instacart, you can get free delivery on any order over $35 if you're a first time user. So I'm not kidding. Go get the app. Go get, do you have an iPhone? Everyone has an iPhone. Get, except my mom. Pat maybe doesn't have an iPhone, but we're working on it. Get out your phone, download Instacart. It's a lifesaver. And again, I don't want to see Brenda and neither do you. family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.